Hello, 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 hello. How are you all doing today? I am uh, Minister Jeffrey Stevenson. It is so wonderful uh, to be able to have this privilege to be able to come before you today with this Bible study. I certainly want to uh, thank Dr. Scott for this opportunity and for this uh, privilege to be able to be here uh, today to be able to have this conversation with you. Um, I certainly want to invite you to be able to go along in this interactive study today. It's not just going to be about me, but I want it to be very interactive. Get in the comments, get in the chats, um, you know, get your pens ready, get your pads out. We're going to kind of go through some scripture today and kind of be able to dissect a few things. And so uh, it's going to be very interactive. So get your comments ready. All right. Uh, stay in the chats. But before we begin, let us start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come before you right now. First of all, God, we just come before you to say thank you. Thank you for being the God of our life, God. Thank you for bringing up to the, us to this teaching moment of this week. And Father, as we enter into this word, into this text, God, we ask that you would just give us what you would have us to get out of this text, that way we can be able to apply it to our everyday life. We just thank you. We praise your name. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right. So today uh, we want to we want to talk about a living faith. OK, a living faith. Um, and we're going to be using for this backdrop, James um, chapter two, beginning at verse one through 13. So if everybody is ready, then let's go. Let's jump right on into it. All right. All right. Let's go. Um, and it begins in saying, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool, which I like one of the other Bible versions. It also says you sit here on the floor. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I see all the comments coming in. Good afternoon, family. Good afternoon, family. Um, for those who have just gotten on, we are talking about James 
chapter 2, beginning at verses 1 through 13, a living faith, a living faith. And I, I would encourage you to really bring out your pens and your pads. We're going to kind of go through this interactive study. As I said, we're going to do this together. Okay. All right. So James, and I know Dr. Scott has been teaching on James and he's already giving you kind of backdrop and an overview of James. So I'm not gonna go too much into James, uh, who James is, but just from a point of view of what it pertains to in this scripture, right? So James, who is known as the brother of Jesus, we get this from several different books, such as 1 Corinthians 15 and 7, Acts 1 through 1 and 14. <clears throat> Excuse me, we find James as a strong leader in the church at this time that this book is written, all right? Um, but in this book, James is talking to Jewish Christians. Now, if you're writing this down, I want you to write this down. James is talking to Jewish Christians. It is very important because we're gonna get to that later and you're gonna see why you need to remember that James is talking to Jewish Christians, okay? Um, and you also have to remember that James himself is a Jewish Christian, okay? Um, we know that James is talking to Jewish Christians because of the way he starts the book off. He says in verses, uh, chapter one, verse one, he refers to the 12 tribes um, who are scattered among the nations. Um, keep this in mind, as I said, because as we go through, you're gonna need to remember this. As we look at chapter two, we'll come back to who he's talking to and who his audience is. Uh, the book itself is filled with what is known as paranesis. Paranesis. If you're writing this down, I'm going to spell it out for you. I know it's a $10 word, but we're going to need it um, for later, right? So paranesis, P-A-R-A-E-N-E-S-I-S, -E -E paranesis. Once again, that is P-A-R-A-E-N-E-S-I-S, Paranesis. Okay. All right. And what paranesis is, is, is wise counsel or kind advice. It's an ethical imperative or a necessity. Okay. Um, this book, unlike uh, the works of, let's say, a Paul, is a little different because James is not so much concerned with theology in this book. What James does is, James basically, I'll be honest with you, James just gets all up in our business. James just gets all up in our business. He basically peels back the layer of your faith that you say you have. And James says, okay, so you're a Christian. Let's take a look at how that looks. Some scholars actually believe that, um, that James and Paul were at odds because, you know, Paul says that you're saved by faith. And, and some seem to think that, that, that James is saying you're saved by your works. And, and actually, that's not what James is referring to at all. And we'll kind of discuss that a little later. But for James, this process of sanctification should be evident in how you live. So basically, James says, if you're a doctor, I should be able to see some of your surgeries. He basically says, if you're a lawyer, I should be able to come see some of your cases that you've tried. You say that this is the faith that you have. I should be able to see it. It should be evident in your life. All right. So let's kind of move forward now into our text. All right. So I'm just going to let you know this text I'll be breaking down. So if you're taking notes, we're going to break this down kind of in a four part and we'll wrap it all up at the end. And so if you're taking these notes, I want you to label verses one through four with this title, faith and favoritism. Do You got it? Label verses one through four 
as favoritism, faith and favoritism do not mix. All right, let's go. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should come also a poor man in filthy clothes, and you say, pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool. Or as I said earlier, another translation says, you just sit on the floor. You have not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So what is James saying in this verse one through four? James says that faith and favoritism do not mix well together, right? James says, uh, do not hold Jesus with partiality because partiality simply means do not show unfair biased favor to one thing or one person over another. He then gives this illustration for us to kind of understand about this rich man and this poor man coming into the assembly and the rich man receiving better treatment than the poor man. Now, to understand this, you really have to understand that this is not something that James is just saying as an illustration. These are something that is actually taking place in the church that he's writing to. Uh, while he's using the illustration to illustrate, this is an actual event that most scholars believe were taking place in the church itself. Okay, so he's not just making up something. This is something that's actually taking place. And so this is for James, this is class discrimination. And, and with this class discrimination, he says that Jesus himself did not show class discrimination. So how are you who say you walk in this faith showing class discrimination? And, and it's interesting because some commentaries, when you begin to study, they literally take this word favoritism and use it to mean snob. So in other words, the church has taken the role of being snobs. How does that sound? This situation shows what happens when we depend on the external, such as class, race, and economic well-being, and even physical appearance to qualify a person. Remember I said he is talking to these Jewish Christians. So the reason why this is important is because uh, Jewish Christians, they understand that they're Jewish. So they're not like the Gentile nations who don't understand as far as the Old Testament. These Jewish Christians understand this Old Testament. So when he says what he just said, in their mind, they're brought back to Deuteronomy 1 and 17, which says, you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great because the judgment belongs to God. And so the basis that James uses says that even God in the way his standards are is not to show favoritism on partiality. God does not look at the great more than he looks at what we would consider the small. Let's move on. So not only do faith and favoritism not mix. But look at what he says in verse four. He says that you become judges with evil thoughts. 
So what is James actually saying about your thought life? He's saying that the church has been using evil practices in evaluating who it qualifies for the kingdom. And that I find interesting because James is saying God doesn't even use favoritism in who God chooses to qualify for the kingdom. So how are you doing? This is what James means when he says you are a living faith, right? So you are using standards that even God does not use. So you may not show it on the outside, but what about your thoughts? Have your thoughts become evil? What are your motives? What drives you? Because your motives on the inside, on your thought life, will eventually become what is expressed on the outside. So is it easy? So I ask this question to you who are watching. Do you show, St. Paul, do we show the CEO at Wells Fargo better treatment than we show someone that we bring in from Tent City? Because that's what James is saying is that faith and favoritism do not mix. So let's move on to this next set of uh, this next set uh, portion of scripture. And I want you to label this as siding with the enemy. And we're going to go from verses five through seven. OK, uh, siding with the enemy. That's what I want you to label it. Um, Put it in bold letters as you take your notes, siding with the enemy. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? Now, to really understand this part of the scripture, we're going to have to have to do a little a little more teaching. So um, what's going on during this time is that the people are being the poor people are being dragged into court. They're being hauled into court by the rich and they're being exploited. Right. Uh, many of these people are poor and they're sharecroppers. Um, they are artisans such as tent makers and carpenters. Um, and so what happens now is that these shit, these owners of this land bring these poor people into court. They raise these wages and and they try to do everything in their power to take advantage and to exploit them. And so when they do that, James, the way James puts it is that even the side of the court is on the side of the rich and not the side of the poor. But but they change the rules, they increase the wages and increase the rent just to all to exploit the poor at this time. And it's funny because the reason why James is pointing this out to them is because we know that the church has always been made up of those who are less in power. So James is saying um, that that you are siding with the very people who are exploiting you. 
And then he goes a little further. He also says that um, you are called Christians at baptism. And since the rich are now blaspheming or cursing you because you are a Christian. They blaspheme you not because you are when they blaspheme you because of your baptism, they're blaspheming the God that you serve. Thereby, they are blaspheming the God himself or God's God self. So, James, and, and I want you to kind of picture this because it's almost when you read it for yourself, it's almost like James is saying this very almost like rhetorically. It's almost like he has this sense of irony in his voice and, and he's saying, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let me get this right. Let me get this straight. So the very people who are dragging you into court and the ones who are blaspheming you because of the name that you bear, these are the very same people that you're catering to. And so I'll ask you while, while you look at this and while you think about this, who do you cater to, right? I always find it funny that that we look at certain demographics and I won't get into to who is who or, or political parties, but I always find it interesting that we know that certain parties seem to vote against their own interests. Right. It's like I, I know that they're not looking out for me, taking away my welfare and taking away um, my help and my aid or even my debt, student loan for things, different things that are going on. Um, but yet you still continue to vote against your own interests. And so what James is saying is that, hold up. So you're telling me that you're catering to the rich. But you are treating the very people who look like you badly. Understands that those who are receiving this epistle are generally accounted among the poor class. So to him, it's 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 an irony. It's just an irony in the situation. Look at the way he says it. He says. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Question mark. It's almost like you can hear him the way he says it in the text. Um, so to him, it's just a, it's a, the irony and the exploitation. And they're trying to steal your land. They're cursing at you, cursing at your God. Now, you also have to remember that the exploitation of them is not because they're Christian. They're being exploited because they're poor. The cursing or the blasphemy is just coming as a result of you being a poor Christian. But let's not skip over the, that, that first part of, of, of this verse. The first part of the verse um, does not mean that the rich, and we have to be very careful on how we read and how we review scripture, because oftentimes we can misinterpret the scripture. And so when James says, listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those whom he loved? He's not saying that the rich cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And we know this because we can look at people in the Bible, such as Job. Job was an upright man, and we know Job was well off, right? Um, we can even look at Moses. We know that Moses grew up in the palace. 
right? Uh, but we also know that oftentimes the Christian faith has been associated with those who do not hold power in this world. So James is looking at his audience of who he's writing this to. James is not saying because you are rich that the kingdom is not yours, but James understands essentially that the church, who the church is made up of. Jesus himself and Luke says he came to preach the word to the poor because even Jesus understood his audience. Now let, let's let's kind of let's kind of move on um, to verses eight. If anybody has any questions up to this point, you're more than welcome to put them in the chat, and I'll be more than glad to start filtering through any questions that you may have or or any comments that you may have up to this point. Um, um, so we'll begin at verse eight, um, and and we'll go through eleven. And so favoritism betrays the law. And that's what I want you to kind of label this as, is favoritism betrays the law. And, and so what, what, what James writes is, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show impartiality, you commit sin. And you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. This here really is probably the crux of this entire um, outline of scriptures. And the reason why it is, is because James is saying that playing favorites is not real love. So anybody that knows me knows uh, that I am a a god uh, godfather to three uh, wonderful wonderful uh, young women, right? And so uh, love my goddaughters um, to death. And so um, because there's three of them, you know, everybody has their own personality, but there is no favorite because what James is saying is that that. Favoritism is not equivalent to real love. And so anybody who has children, more, more than one, they understand that you can't play favorites. Now, you may have those who do things differently and they act differently or doing things. And if you have children, you certainly understand what I'm talking about. Everybody has their own personality, but you love them equally. Right. Because to favor in James's view. Is to not show real love, genuine agape love at all. Right. And so that's why we have to be very careful on on how we dole out this favoritism and how we come and how we act and the things that we do 
inside of the church walls and even when we live out. And that's why James is always talking about the things that we do. This faith that you claim to live, because for James, Jesus does not show partiality. He does not show favoritism. So the question then becomes, if you say you follow Jesus, God, who is love, who does not show favoritism, but then you do, is this real love? I'll let you answer that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just giving you the lesson. It's up to you on what you do with it, right? All right. So, um, I want Ms. Marcia Moore says, love them equally, but sometimes we have to interact with them differently depending upon their personalities. And you are exactly correct because they all have their own personality. My mom has four boys, and all of us are totally different. Uh, none of us act alike at all. Um, we are we are all very, very different. And I think she might be on the chat and she's probably going to put an amen in there at some point because she'll be the first to tell you all of us are different. But the difference, the differences that we have does not equate to her loving one of us over the other. Right. And so while James is saying at this point in this text is that, yes, there are rich and there are poor. And see, she just dropped an amen on there. If you can, I don't know if you can see me. She said, amen to that. That's my mother, uh, Sadie Gabriel. She put an amen and she'll be the first to tell you. Um, um, Judy Collins said, my dad said he treated us based on our character and your character um, is because you have different makeups um, and he may have treated you, but the love that he has is no favorites, right? And so, um, you have to make sure that this, this love that you have, even though someone is rich and may live on the 40th floor downtown Charlotte, this love is the same across the board with somebody who is in Tent City. And that when they come into the St. Paul Church, that no matter who they are or what they look like or what they have on, we treat them all the same. And that's really why this is the crux of James's argument, because playing favorites is not real love. James actually, and he goes so far, and if you look at what he does um, in verse nine, he says, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So James brands this as sin altogether. And I'll be honest with you all. When I read that, I was like, James tripping. I'm going to tell you, I'm just, I'm going to be honest. With you. I was like, James tripping. I don't understand how James is saying that this is sin to just, you know, to show partiality. And so as I had to dive into this text and, and do the work of the text, um, I was like, there's no way that just showing partiality and showing favoritism is a sin. But as you begin to dive into James and how he sees this, you then understand why he makes this claim. So let's go ahead and dive into that right now. Okay, so James says, when you start to dig into him, James says, look, and also this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. James understands his audience. He's talking to Jewish 
Christians who understand this Old Testament. This is why it's very important that you read and that you study the Bible and also that you you take out the um, that you also do the exegesis work and that you actually study this work. This is why Bible study is so important, because if you read that and you don't fully understand what James is saying, then you'll miss what he's saying. So let's kind of see exactly what James is saying. So James in his audience, who are who are Jewish Christians who understand why he's saying what he's saying, they understand it this way. James looks at two things in this part of the scripture, right? He looks at Jesus. Love above all of the Old Testament laws. But the royal law, which he says in verse eight, he says, if you really fulfill, um, he says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture. So what is this royal law? What is what is he talking about? The royal law that he's speaking of is found in Leviticus 19 and 18. All right. Uh, I'll repeat that again for anybody who missed it. He's talking about Leviticus 19 and verse 18 B in, in, in part B which says, and this is going to sound very familiar, by the way, if you've, if anybody's been to, to Sunday school since they were four years old, they'll know exactly why this sounds familiar, right? So um, Leviticus 19 and 18, part B says, love your neighbor as yourself. Once again, he's talking to these Jewish Christians who understand this Old Testament scripture. But watch this now. But it is Jesus who really spells out. Remember, Jesus was a Jew as well. He understood Old Testament scripture. So when Jesus refers to this, he's going back to the Old Testament as well. But so it's Jesus who really spells out this law in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. That was Matthew 22, 37 through 40. I'm going to paraphrase it. I'll let you go back and look it up. You all you all mostly know this. If you don't go back and look it up anyway, I'm just going to paraphrase it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And also love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19 and 18 part B says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then says in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, love the Lord your God with all your heart and also love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two, but see, this is where Jesus kind of catches us at. And on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. So for James, the actions of the church at this time, who he's talking to, are not those of a loving faith or acting according to the very law that Jesus has said is one of the most important. He elevates these two and he says, out of those two for James, it's the second part of loving your neighbor as yourself. And I'll tell you, this is where James caught me at because what James is saying is that, how do you treat the poor in your midst unlike the very way that you wanna be treated? That just blew my mind. I don't know if that blew anybody else's mind, but it blew my mind. I don't know if that blew your mind. I'm going to repeat it one more time and see if you catch it. James is saying, you don't like the way the rich are treating you by dragging you into court. You don't like the way the rich are exploiting you. You don't like the way the courts are always siding with the rich. 
You don't like the way that the rich is shown favoritism, right? But so James is saying, how do you then turn around and treat the poor in your midst who are just like you, by the way, the very same way that you don't like to be treated? So think about that. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't like people treating you with disdain, being discriminated against, being talked about, being lied on, being persecuted, if you don't like the way people judge you by your skin color, your sexual orientation, your uh, race, your ethnicity, then how do you say that you love God when you turn around and do the same thing to other people? This is why James says that your faith that you have, yes, you say that you have faith, but is that faith living faith? Right? You say that you are faith. Is your faith real faith or is it lip service faith? Right? Are you just talking about this God? Or do you actually live what you say you believe? So for James, he says that that you don't like the way the rich are treating you, but yet you treat the poor who come into your midst the same way. He then draws onto this old once again, this is why it's important to understand audience. That's why when you read scripture, you need to know who they're talking to, right? Once again, he's talking to these talking to these Jewish Christians. They understand the Old Testament, right? That's why when people start talking that craziness about we don't need to understand the Old Testament, don't listen, because unless you understand Old Testament, it's going to be hard for you to understand a lot of the New Testament because the New Testament teachers are deriving things from this Old Testament. Right. So that's why it's important that we still understand the Old Testament. OK, so now James draws on this Old Testament principle that if you break part of the law. You break the whole law. Where does he say that? Okay, so he says in verse 11, um, no, excuse me, in verse 10, let's move up to verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law, circle whole. If you're in your Bible, circle it. If you're using somebody else's Bible, don't circle it because I don't want you coming back blaming me saying that I told you to circle in somebody else's Bible. But if it's your Bible, circle it. Whole law, keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law, right? So James says in this illustration here that, yeah, you may not commit adultery. But if you murder someone, you've still broken the law. So for James, if you're going to keep it, you got to keep it. Now, once again, we know Jesus came, died for your sins. The problem that we have and um, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know who he is, he says basically we have cheapened up grace 
that God has given us. We have what's called, he calls it cheap grace. Because even though we have grace, we still feel like we can go out and do everything else we want to do without actually repenting because we feel like God has died for our sins. So he labels it cheap grace. James just calls it a sin, right? So um, so if you don't commit adultery, but you murder, you have still broken the law. So James gives his illustration. I'm gonna give you my illustration. So James basically says, listen, if you're going out to buy a car and you need a car to get back and forth to work, take your kids back and forth to school, whatever, and you go out to buy a car, and you see a car on the side of the road and you go to the person selling the car and you said, hey, is this car in good shape? And they say, yes, the car actually has a great motor. The motor runs good. It's got low miles. And you say, OK, well, how much is it? And they tell you the price. And then you say, OK, is there anything else wrong with it? And they say, oh, well, yeah, the motor runs great. But the transmission just bad. It don't have brakes. The brakes bad. In your mind, you don't care how good that motor is. You don't care about the miles that's on it. You don't care about the low miles. In your mind, that car broke down. And I know proper verge is probably broken down. I'm from South Carolina. It's broke down where I'm from. That car broke down. And I'm not about to pay you for a broke down car. Now the motor's good, but the transmission bad. So in your mind, it's a broke down car. Because even though the motor might be good. There's something broken on the car that will prevent the car from getting you to where you need to go. So while the motor may be good, if you don't have the brakes to stop it, you're in bad shape. And so James says that if uh, regardless how you label the car and how good the car looks, the car is still broken down and in bad shape if the whole car is not working. What do you think of that? If you break part of the law, James says you've broken the whole law. What you do with that, once again, that's I'm just here to give you Bible study. All right. So let's move on. Let's go to our last uh, our last point. Right. So our last point. Uh, thank you, Miss Karen. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to do, I'm trying to do what I can. Uh, so that way y'all don't go back and tell Dr. Scott, he know what he's talking about. So, um, this last point verses 12 through 13, I want you to label as walk the talk, walk the talk. It's in bold letters. Matter of fact, write it on a sticky note, stick it on your mirror, write it down, take a picture of it. Walk the talk. So he says in verse 12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm going to read that again because I think that's worth reading one more time. So speak. And so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, 
This is where that fancy $10 word that we talked about earlier. If y'all remember, anybody know what it is? Paranesis. P-A, um, uh, paranesis, uh, excuse me, P-A-R-A-E-N-E-S-I-S. Paranesis. This is where that, that big $10 word comes into play, right? James gives us wise counsel. That's paranesis. That's what paranesis means. He gives us some wise counsel and some ethical advice. He says, if you're speaking and you are doing the things that you speak about, you will be judged by the law of liberty. So speak and do as those who will be judged by law. In other words, if you act with love in your heart at all times, you won't have to worry about showing favoritism. Because when you act according to love, then you don't discriminate. If you act according to love, then you don't show favoritism. If you act according to love, then you don't show unequal treatment to others. If you act according to love, then you don't have to worry about evil thoughts coming to your mind. Because the faith that you claim is the faith that you will then be able to live out. You will then be have a living faith. The same one that you're talking about is now the one that you are living out. And it's interesting because what he actually does here, he connects a statement from earlier in his epistle found in verses one and 25, which says he who is faithful is a faithful doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. In other words, if you're faithful in the process of doing the work then you will be blessed in how you actually carry out the work. So when you speak first and then you act on what you have spoken about, then you won't have to worry about all those things we just talked about. This is why even though scholars believe that Paul and James, as I said earlier, are saying two different things, really they're not. James is really just saying that the actions of your faith Paul says, okay, that you have the faith, then that's what is, is saving you. James is saying, yeah, okay, you got it, but what you doing with it? So they're not really contradicting each other. For James, his audience says, yeah, uh, he says, have faith, but you have reduced their faith down, faith down to only what you believe. But James, and this is where we really need to get, and I want you to catch if you don't catch anything else, I really want you to catch this last part because James says real faith includes both actions and belief. And so for James, you can't have one without having the other. So I want you to write this definition because if James were here and we were talking to James and asking James, what would be your definition of faith, James? What exactly would you call faith? This is what I believe James would give you. So if you're writing this down, I want you to write this down because I believe this is the definition that James would give you. James would say that faith is a belief and trust in God that is demonstrated through consistent acts of obedience. I'll say that again. James would say that faith is a belief and trust in God 
but that is demonstrated through consistent acts of obedience. Now, by the way, we, we still got to roll with 13. We're almost done. Y'all still with me? Everybody still with me? Okay, we're good. So verse 13, he says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over, um, mercy triumphs over judgment. So what James is saying in verse 13, as he, as, as we come to the close of what James is saying in verse 13, James basically says, he basically says what Jesus has already said in Matthew 5 and 7. He just kind of reverses it because Jesus says in Matthew 5 and 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. James says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. So he's basically taking what Jesus has said and he's flipped it. He said, Jesus says that blessed are those who have been merciful, for they will be shown mercy. James says, if you have not shown mercy, then how are you going to expect mercy to be given to you at the time of judgment? So for James, it's, it's, really, it's really as simple as how you treat others is the way that you will be judged by God on judgment day. But here's our hope. And I, and I want to give you the hope because there's hope in the scripture, by the way. He says, but mercy triumphs over judgment. This is a confident statement. This is like someone who practices and lives out their faith. So I don't know if you watch, I believe it's uh, the fight the other day. One of the fighters, the fighter who lost, I believe Dante, he, he came out and he's, um, his trainer came out and said that um, he was untrained. Uh, one of his old trainers came out and said he was untrainable. Not that he couldn't be trained, but that he was untrainable. He refused to do the work. Right. And so it's like a boxer who has done the work, because when I've done the work, then I can be confident in the outcome of the work that I've done. And so James says that if you've been living out this faith, then you can be confident that mercy will be shown to you because mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, the judgment that God gives, the mercy triumphs over that. So it's a confident statement. So to the believers who adhere to the words of James and what he's writing, none of this matters if you're practicing the love that Jesus practiced. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And this is ours to boast about. So. As we close out, um, as we close out from this Bible study, um, I want you to remember that that the faith that you claim. It should be alive. And this is what James says. James says the faith that you have, it should be it should be alive. It should be an actionable faith. It should be a faith that is flowing from you. 
It should be a faith that you live out on a daily basis. It should be something that is demonstrated. It's not to say that you won't stumble because you're not perfect. But there should be progress, not perfection. You should not look like the same that you look like before you claim this faith. So for James, this faith should be something that is living, that is vibrant, right? It's not just something that you say, but it's something that you do. And so that's really what, what this whole um, James 2, 1 through 13 is. He's saying that, listen, there shouldn't be favoritism. But the only way you got there is because you ain't, you're not living out the faith that you claim to live anyway. And that's why I like James. I'll be honest with you all. I like James because sometimes you get into the theological aspect of some of like Paul's letters, which I love Paul as well. You get into this theological aspect and you got to really, and James says, no, I'm, I'm not looking at the theological part. Let me just peel back the layers and see if you're doing what you say you're doing. You say you got it. So just remember as we as we close um, this this Bible study that what you say should not just be lip service, but that you're actually living what you say you believe, because that's we are the witness that people see. So the question is that every believer should ask themselves is how do people see me? We live in a society that tells us that um, we shouldn't worry about other people's opinions of you because you know we don't wanna be judged, right? We throw that thing around all the time. We don't wanna be judged. But the reality is, is if you only see yourself as you see yourself and not see yourself as others see you, then oftentimes you miss the areas that need developing in your life because you think you got it together. I'll say that one more time. If you only see yourself as you see yourself and you never see yourself as others see you, you miss opportunities of developmental portions in your life. So be mindful because the faith that we have is not ours. It is a living, breathing faith. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being with us today. Um, it, it's um, it's certainly an honor. It is certainly a privilege to be able to come before you. Um, one that I do not take lightly, uh, whether it is the preaching moment or the teaching moment. Um, this is really where the work is done. And so I, we certainly thank um, Dr. Scott for allowing me to be able to present um, uh, this today and to be able to do this Bible study with you. I, I uh, love St. Paul, been at St. Paul. I love St. Paul. I love you all and I thank you all. Uh, but we also don't want to forget to um, take this opportunity. If you found value in this word, found value in this ministry, I want to open it up for you to be able to sow into this ministry as well. Um, and so with that, we have a few different ways that you are able to sow into this ministry uh, here. Uh, the first way um, that you can sow into this ministry is by mailing your um, 
check or your envelope to St. Paul Baptist Church, 14101 Allen Street, Charlotte, North Carolina, <clears throat> excuse me, 28205. Uh, you can also drop your envelope off at the church Monday through Friday from nine to five. Uh, but we do ask that you call the church office before coming just to verify that someone is in the office. That phone number is 704-334-5309. Another way that you can give to this and so into this ministry is through ACS. You can just go to our church website and click on, um, um, excuse me, uh, ACS and then through our church life app and be able to give that way. And lastly, you can download the app uh, called Givelify. from your smart device um, or on your laptop, you can go to that website and just be able to give that way. Just look up St. Paul Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and be able to sow in this ministry as we continue to bring the word. Um, But before we close today, I would like to ask if anyone has any uh, prayer requests, you're more than welcome to type those into the chat. We certainly don't want to be remiss um by missing anyone that may have any prayer requests uh so please share them in the chat now uh while those are being shared right now we also want to make sure that we bring up we have kaya uh that will be coming up um at the end of this month um and so um don't forget to tune into that well actually i'll be the one hosting uh kaya this is a brother to brother conversation we have some great uh panelists that are coming down the pipe as well um that are going to be on there and you definitely don't want to miss that we also have um several upcoming events that the church will be hosting as well um and don't forget we have uh five years at saint paul baptist church for our very own Reverend Dr. Robert Charles Scott. Um, and our guest preacher will be uh, the Reverend Dr. Stephen G. Blunt. So you definitely don't wanna miss that as well. We want to celebrate the five years of increase, the five years of favor that God has shown to our servant uh, pastor um, who has definitely, and I, I'll brag on him. I, I was I brag on him in our seminary class because, um, and I was telling Deb this yesterday that I think what most people forget sometimes is the visionary that we've been placed um, in our midst. Because while others scrambled once the pandemic hit, St. Paul was already equipped. We just, I mean, St. Paul was equipped. Obviously, we had to make, you know, um, concessions, but St. Paul was already equipped. Has given us in the house. So, um, but as we, um, close. Um, just want to mention uh, Sister Edna. Looks like Edna Miles. Uh, Willie um, is in ICU, stage four lung cancer, not doing well. We certainly want to, to keep them uh, lifted up. Um, we also want to make sure that we lift up these two families that have been impacted um, in our neighborhood. The young lady who was across the street, um, from St. Paul, um, that funeral arrangement. And then also we just had the funeral of our own brother, Eric Deese, um, who um, has impacted and touched almost every youth ministry at St. Paul and definitely a devastating loss to St. Paul family and want to keep his uh, Sister Angela McDonald and their family lifted up in prayer as well. So um, as we close out, uh, let us go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come before you right now. First of all, God, we come before you just to say thank you. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this living faith that you have given us. God, for everyone who has watched, for everyone who will watch. God, I just ask that you would help us. Help us to live out this faith on a daily basis. So that way we may show others 
the same way that you take care of us, you are able to take care of them. For the same mercy that you give us, you still offer that same mercy to anyone else, God. And for that, we say thank you. So help us, God, to be able to be a living witness for you. God, we want to say a special prayer for Willie Wilson right now, who is in ICU with stage four lung cancer and not doing well. Father, for we still trust and we still believe, God, that you will have your way. And God, we know that however the outcome, that you still get the glory. And God, we also want to pray for Edna Miles today. God, if you would just touch her in, in however way that needs to be done, God, we believe and we claim it done. And God, for all of those who have been impacted by COVID, God, for those who have been impacted by this hard hit in this nation and everything that's going on, God, we just ask that you just continue to look over your people. Touch us, God. Continue to be the God of our life. We thank you for everything, God. In yours name we do pray. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. It was wonderful to be with you today. I love you all and I'll see you all later. Be blessed.